to that portion of scripture that we read just a few moments ago in Acts chapter 6 and from verse 11, no, verse 8. I'm going to have to shout, okay? So I apologize in advance. I don't think the microphone is working all that well. We'll see how we get on. Now, uh, this past week, our Twitter feeds and our Facebook feeds and our magazines and our newspapers, they have all been full of Stephen's story, haven't they? I'm sure you've, you've seen a Stephen story, the account of this this young guy, a bloke from a place called, I think it's Burntwood, who when um, faced with a, a diagnosis of terminal cancer, here's a guy who has spent his last few days, his last few weeks, trying to raise as much money as is humanly possible for charity. Okay, a most inspiring story. Well, today in our time together, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the biblical equivalent of Stephen's story, aren't we? Another account of a man who is facing death, the first New Testament martyr. Another account that has inspired uh, many people, multitudes of people around the globe, and an account we pray that will be used by the Holy Spirit to really inspire us this morning to, to, to go out and to live all the more for the glory and for the honor of Jesus Christ. Now, with the story here, what happens is that we come back to the kind of uh, the familiar territory of Christian persecution and opposition. Okay, something that we've seen a lot recently in the book of Acts. Right, but here we go. Before we get into this. Let's just notice that this section is different to what we have seen previously. Because this section with Stephen here, this is not about, you know, the church as a whole facing opposition. It's not that. And it's not about the sort of 12 apostles, all of them as representatives of the church facing persecution. It's not that. Now, what have we got? We just have one guy. You know, just one bloke here. So this has much to say to us, not so much about, you know, society versus the church or culture versus the church, but this is much more to say to us about why it is that we, you and me, individual Christians, will face opposition for our faith. Okay, so what happens here? What, what happens in Acts chapter 6? Well, we've got Stephen, this uh, first-century Christian man. And you know, what, what we can tell is that he's clearly been preaching, teaching people about Jesus Christ. He's been preaching the gospel in a local synagogue, okay? An argument has broken out about this, and debate has broken out, but he's then falsely accused, isn't he? And he's brought before a trial. And 
This is a, a trial that we'll see over the next few weeks, a trial that will lead to this man, Stephen's death and his execution. So that's what, we've, what we see here, but we'll not leave it at that. Um, let's dig into this and let's think about the first of three headings this morning. Okay, the first of three headings, and it's this. Let's think about the form of opposition that's faced. Okay, the form, the type of opposition that we've got here. Okay. The first thing that we have to notice is that this was opposition to the godly. Because if you've got your Bible open, if you did turn back to, to Acts, just have a look at how this guy here, Stephen, is described. Okay, in verse marked 8, what do we see? We're told that this, this was a man, do you see what it says? It says, a man full of God's grace and power. Okay, cracking description. Now, you wouldn't mind being described as that as you came into church, but here's a person that is full of God's grace and power. It's an amazing description, isn't it? See what we've got? We've got here, Stephen, a lovely guy. You know, a lovely, gracious Christian man. Isn't he? He's a Christ-centered man. He's a man so sort of filled with the Holy Spirit that what else are we told about him? He is performing great wonders and miraculous signs amongst the people, okay? Lovely guy. Great Christian guy. Christ-centered guy. But yet, because of that, because of that godliness, he's a guy who's persecuted. So, here's a question for you, okay? If you're a regular in the congregation, how are you feeling about the fact that Acts has brought up Christian opposition again? Are you kind of over that? Are you? You sort of think about Christian opposition this morning, and do you think, well, hang on, that's not really that relevant to my life just now. Christian opposition, I don't face that. That's not a big deal. Are you thinking like that? If so, can I suggest that there might be a problem? Can I suggest this morning that there might be a, a problem with your witness? Because you see, Stephen is not given to the church here as just this bizarre, unique, one-off thing that just kind of happened to one Christian guy. Stephen is given to the church as an example of the norm. That not necessarily that we're all going to be executed for our faith. That's not what it is. But that if we are living like this, you know, if we are living this sort of open, godly, noticeable way for Jesus Christ, that as Paul tells us in 2 Timothy guess what's going to happen? We will be persecuted. We will be opposed for that. That this, this godliness, it invariably leads to a, a, a resistance that see all this stuff and acts about opposition? It should be relevant to our lives. So the opposition here is opposition to the godly. But a second thing that we should do about the, this form of opposition, think about this, please, is that this was opposition from those who were similar to Stephen. Opposition from those who were similar to Stephen. Now, what does that mean? 
Okay, again, if your Bibles are open, do you see where the problems originate for Stephen? So if you look at verse 9, do you see where all these problems, he's got a lot of problems, where do they come from? Do you see it, verse 9? It comes from this place called the Synagogue of the Freedmen. Stoughton name, great name, the Synagogue of the Freedmen. Now what was that? Well, this synagogue was uh, for Jews who were formerly slaves in the Roman Empire, but Jews who had clearly been released, hence synagogue of the free men. Okay, that's fine. But do you see where it is that these Jews come from? Because we're given a list. Do you see where they come from? They're from Cyrene and Alexandria from Cilicia and so on. So who are these guys? They are, follow this, they are Greek-speaking Jews from the lands around Israel. And these are people who have, for various reasons, found themselves settled in Jerusalem, settled in the city here. Now, that's who they are, these freedmen, these people opposing Stephen. Fine. Now think about who Stephen was. What do we know about Stephen? Think back to last week. Tell you what, think back to verse 5. Do you see it? Stephen is one of those seven men who are chosen to help with this problem with the, the Hellenistic poor in the church. He's one of those guys, one of the seven. So think about that. Stephen is a man just like these freed men in the synagogue. He is a Greek-speaking Jew. He's a guy who used to live in the, the countries outside Israel, who has then come into Israel, who is now settled in Jerusalem. Do you see it? Stephen has so much, so much in common with the people who are oppressing and persecuting him. And I wonder, I really do, do you see in that the preparatory warning for us? Because that there is very often how it's going to be for you and for me. That if we are leading those godly lives that we've just talked about, that very often it's going to be those who are most similar to us, those who are like us, who oppose us. It's going to be difficulty in opposition from family. And we're going to face difficulty in opposition from our fellow students. Aren't we? And we're going to face difficulty in opposition from our fellow employees, people who share similar habits, routines, people who live in the same part of the world as us, people who have the same likes and dislikes and same interests as people who look at us and see, yes, okay, they, they have so much in common with us, but people who look at us and also see something different, something else, something that for them causes them to be threatened, or sometimes even fearful. Like with Stephen, the opposition that we face, it will or it may come from those who are most similar to us. And then we should also notice that this was persistent opposition too. Persistent opposition. Okay, now, uh, we all know uh, how dirty and uh, how corrupt politics uh, can be or is said to be, don't we? 
in the UK certainly, uh, politicians are not normally held up as beacons of uh, authenticity or beacons of honesty, are they? Not a bit of it. And because of that, we've all heard stories where a political party is losing a, a race for an election. And so it begins the mudslinging, doesn't it? You know, they're sort of losing the debate. They're losing the argument. So they quickly change tact and they start sort of personally attacking the candidate. We've all heard of situations like that, I'm sure. That's the sort of thing that we see with Stephen in Acts chapter 6, isn't it? Because these Jews who oppose Stephen, you know, they do argue with him, don't they? And they debate with him about matters of faith. But do you see what happens when they lose or begin to lose the argument? Do you see how they act? Do you see what they do when they change tact? We're told that they sort of enroll the help of others to lie about Stephen. We're told that they stir up the crowd in opposition to this man. What we see is this kind of, what we call it, a deeply sinister persistence in this persecution of a godly man. And again with that, we are being shown the form of this opposition that we might face as Christians. Because really there, we are being shown the tenacity, the persistence, and persecution and opposition of the gospel. You know, we might like to think that there's going to be this golden age of calm for Christians in this country. We like to think that that's, what's going to, that's around the corner. Do you know what? That is not going to happen. See, if you live till you're 100 years old, and if Jesus Christ has not come back, then opposition to Christianity is going to be as real then as it is this morning. And I tell you this, that is why these chapters in Acts are just so important. Because they are showing us how to live for Christ. You see? These passages about opposition, they're they're showing us how to live and how to witness for Jesus Christ in a context of persecution, a context of opposition for Christianity. We should read this stuff, folks, and we should look at these scenarios opposition, and we should see that they are teaching us what we will face as we seek to live our lives pursuing God's glory. So we see here the form of opposition. The form of opposition. But we also see the function of God in opposition. The function of God in opposition. So let's think more about the detail of the account here. So what's happened? What have we seen with Stephen? We've seen that he is He's got problems with the, the synagogue. He's, these freed men, they oppose him. And then we see that that sort of escalates, doesn't it? That he's false accusations. But what we really need to think about and appreciate is how intense the situation becomes for this guy. Because it really gets pretty intense, doesn't it? I mean, do you see what happens? Before long, this group of freed men, I mean, they've stirred up the whole of Jerusalem. They have stirred up all the people. They've stirred up all the teachers of the law, all the religious authorities, all in opposition to Stephen. And the guy is seized. 
That's how frightening that would be. And then he is taken before this trial. Okay? And are you not reading that thinking, come on, that is not fair? You know, reading that and remembering this is, a, this is this lovely guy. You know, this, this gentle Christian folk. You know, this Christ-centered guy, the guy who, who loves people so much that he wants to tell them about Jesus Christ. You're not reading it thinking, he's been bullied. And he's been mistreated. This is, this is not fair. And do you not read Acts 6 asking, why, Lord, would you allow your servant to suffer like this? Are you not asking, here's the thing, where are you, God, as this lone man stands before this crowd? But I think if we look closely, what we see is that God actually is present here in this opposition. And we see God present in two ways. Firstly, we see that he's present in the way that Stephen is equipped to handle all of this persecution and opposition. Now, I wonder, um, do you remember what, what we saw that Jesus had promised his church when Christians are persecuted? When we were looking at Peter before the Sanhedrin, we noticed that Jesus had promised two things to you and I, if you like, but two things to the church if we are opposed for our faith. Remember what those two things that Jesus promised were? He promised wisdom in persecution. And he promised as well the sort of extra equipping and presence of the Holy Spirit. So, wisdom and spirit. Okay, that's what Jesus promised. Now, have a look and see what the two things that Stephen receives are. Want to see what they are in verse 10? It's exactly the same wording as what, as what Jesus promised. It says that they could not stand up against this man's wisdom and the spirit by whom he spoke. So what we're seeing, just as Jesus had promised, is that God was with Stephen in opposition. But then perhaps much more remarkably than that, we also see God's presence in this just amazing description that we're given at the end of the section. I mean, you can't, you can't miss it. You can't have helped but notice it, did you? Do you see the description of verse 15? I mean, it just jumps off the page, no? Look what it says. The Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. What did they see? They saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That there was this sort of divinely ordained radiance that sort of shone beamed from Stephen's face. Does that not just jump off the page at you? It should do. But what's going on there? Why was it that Stephen's face appeared as the face of an angel? Well, please think about this. Perhaps what we've got there is an act of divine vindication of Stephen. An act of divine vindication. So let's think about this. This was a trial wasn't it? Before the Sanhedrin. And it's a trial, let's get our heads around this, it's a trial where this man has been falsely accused. And what was he falsely accused of? Of blaspheming Moses and then later on blaspheming the law. 
okay? So to vindicate Stephen of these accusations, what does God do? God illumines Stephen's face in the manner that he is previously only reserved for one man. Who? Moses. And when? At Sinai, where he was given the law. So this is an act of divine vindication of these false accusations. But perhaps more generally what we see in this illumination of Stephen's face is just the closeness and the nearness of God in Christian persecution. You see, why was it that Stephen's face was glowing like this? Or to put it another way, what was it that was making this face beam like this? Was it not the radiance of God's glory? Was Stephen's face not shining brightly like this because God was just so near to him because God was just so close to him. The Lord was there. He was alongside his servant at the point of his greatest need. And friends, I tell you this, we see there why we must never give up speaking about Jesus Christ out of a fear of opposition. We see in that that opposition is not something that we should be afraid of. Because what we see there is that opposition is not a place of spiritual loneliness. Opposition is not a place of spiritual desertion. In fact, opposition is a place where God draws ever closer to his people when he sees them suffering for his name's sake. So what we have here should install in us this morning this passion and this boldness to go out all the more and proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the worst that could possibly happen it happened to Stephen. And in it all, the Lord stood by his side. So the form and the function of God. And we're just going to close as we consider the following of Christ in opposition. The following of Christ in opposition. Now, over the years, as you know, there's been lots of stories and novels that have been written that are clear allegories or clear parallels to the the gospel story or allegories of the suffering and the persecution of Jesus Christ. I'm sure you're aware of that. You know, the one that springs to mind, I'm sure, is the Chronicles of Narnia, perhaps, or some of Tolkien's works. So works that parallel what Jesus Christ went through, allegories. Well, I wonder, do you see that that is what we have in front of us here in Acts chapter 6? Not a fictional account, but a real-life story that kind of echoes or parallels the passion story of Jesus Christ. Now, you see that, don't you? You see the parallels with Christ. You see, we have a man here in Acts chapter 6 who was, come on, he was known throughout the city as a man who walked closely with God. 
He was a man, think about this, he was a man known throughout Jerusalem for his miraculous works. Okay, we have a man who is falsely accused as he preaches the gospel. We have a man who was accused of blasphemy, a man who was accused of breaking the law, a man who was accused of speaking against the temple, a man who was accused of speaking against Moses. You've got a man, the public, was stirred up to hate. We've got a, a man who was arrested and dragged before the religious authorities. We've got a man here who would ultimately, unjustly and unfairly be killed because of those false accusations. Do you see it? I mean, these are obvious and very, very deliberate parallels with the story of Jesus Christ. Now, the question that remains is, of course, why? Why, in God's providence, are there so many similarities between the persecution of Stephen and the persecution of Jesus Christ? Why? Why these parallels? Well, I think part of it is surely God's way of showing us and of showing the New Testament church what it actually means to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. That's part of it. But I think more than that, I wonder, can you remember way back at the beginning of the, the series in Acts, if you can remember that far back, can you remember what we said the book of Acts was all about? What is the book of Acts? Do you remember what we said? That this is a, a book that shows us how the Holy Spirit works in the life of the church. It's a book that shows us how the Holy Spirit works in the lives of Christians. So, that means what we're seeing here in these great parallels between Stephen and Jesus is how God, in the Holy Spirit, actually enables us as believers to be like Christ, even in the face of death. That even in the most trying and difficult circumstances imaginable, that the Holy Spirit enables us to follow in the footsteps of our Lord and Saviour. That this thing that we talk about in church, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, is real. And it's, it's not just a, a little perk, you know, a little add-on to our salvation, that it's real. The Holy Spirit indwells in the lives, in the hearts of believers, that he is active, that he's empowering us to emulate and to imitate and to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ in all things, in every way, even when things are hard, until the point that he makes us perfectly like our Savior. Isn't, isn't that amazing when we stop and think about it? But I tell you, do you know what is even more uplifting than that? It's that we are so united to Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, that Scripture doesn't just tell us that we are going to suffer with him, but that Paul in Romans 8 tells us that we are also going to be glorified with Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that because of, not Stephen's, but because of Jesus' suffering and persecution, and because of the Holy Spirit applying that salvation to 
his people, that we, you and I, the Christians here, we will, like Christ, be raised from the dead. That we will, like Christ, ascend to heaven where all the people of God from all times are going to be so close to their God, so close to the Lord, that what is going to happen? That our faces, like Stephen's, are going to forever radiate with the glory of God. Is that not quite a thought? So friends, this morning, let Stephen's story um, inspire you. And please see that in opposition, what God is doing is he's changing you as Christians. And he is perfecting you, perfecting you until you are like his son. Let's pray.